please. Come on, amen. Welcome to Believer's Chapel. Pumped that you are with us on this good day. Come on, amen. Welcome to Believer's Chapel. Man, just even as we were worshiping, how amazing. Uh, just, I love where, where it's like, listen, if the enemy thinks... The, that he has me, he's wrong. If the enemy tries to point me, point me to my to my sin or all of my iniquity, he is wrong because I just need to point back to the cross and truly recognize the very work of the cross dealt with my sin, dealt with my shame, dealt with my iniquity, dealt with that separation between me and him. And all I have to do is go back and point to the cross and be reminded again that no, the cross declares that I am free. The, tr- the cross declares that I have been redeemed, that I I have been purchased, that I have been bought back, and that I'm justified, and I stand before him cleansed and innocent because of the mighty work of the cross of that which Jesus Christ did for me. So when the enemy tries to throw stuff back up on your grill, throw it back on his grills, he know I am free, and I am forgiven, and I've already, the price has been paid that I have been bought back, and remind your spirit and your soul of what it is to be free. Come on, amen? Amen. amen. Come on, BC. Here we go. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, and just even this morning, driving around and praying, man, I just kept having this thought. Even it's amazing that we sung Egypt this morning about the splitting of the sea, because it was just brought to my attention even in prayer this morning. Man, God, we serve the same God of yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who who spoke our creation into being, our sun, our moon, our stars, this very small little dot called earth that just rotates in the atmosphere amongst all the other dots. Like, like that's God, right? Jeremiah says, ah, Lord, behold, the one who created the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm for nothing is too difficult for you. And church, I want us to be reminded of that on our Sunday when we gather and on our Monday in your living room or wherever you're having time with God, that he is the same God, the same God who spoke creation by his great, his authoritative power, that force that he spoke creation with by his outstretched arm that screams of his ability and nothing is too difficult for God. It's the same God who freed and rescued and delivered and saved his chosen people, Israel, out of slavery from Pharaoh and Egypt by miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And then the crossing of the sea, where, where I love it, where Exodus said, and God blew his nostrils and the water piled up. Like, what a scene. What a scene. Exodus 15, I believe it's 8, says, and the, and the Lord blew his nostrils. And the water, can you imagine, piled up. It just came to a scroll and piled up so God's people can walk on dry ground. Great, amazing Old Testament, same God today that has power and has authority, that wants to reveal his mighty works again and again and again to us, his people who are chosen by the beautiful work of the cross to come to know him and understand that it's the same God that we serve with great power and authority that continues to show the ability of his might. Church, it's powerful. Don't forget that. That was just great for me. And then we sung it this morning, and it was just, just a, great, a great revelation. What's up, beautiful? This is my bride, Renee. Uh, If you don't know, man, this is my incredible, amazing, beautiful bride, Renee. And uh, we had an amazing week as a church. Um, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. But then it started like Wednesday night was awesome. The Thanksgiving service was truly special. Uh, Just a a lot of people came out for it. A lot of amazing testimonies. Love that. And And then Friday and Saturday were just a great representation of Believer's Chapel. 
And we had a home group who said, like, we want to take the RV. We want to take Love Thy Neighbor and be a part of the, the event in Olean, the parade, and then be a part of the event in Portville at the parade and give out hot chocolate and give out free hot chocolate, give out free coffee, give out like just candy and different things, candy canes. It was amazing. And then we had a home group buy these bracelets. You probably got one on the way in. Take a couple of them, give them out. That says Jesus is the reason for the season. And they handed these out at the parade through Love Thy Neighbor. And we had a float in the parade in Olean and in Portville, stunning display of the manger, just really declaring that Jesus truly is king. And it was just, we just need, like if we celebrate Christmas, we need to be a reminder that it is Jesus that must be in the center of our attention for this season, that he is the reason for the season, truly. And man, take these bracelets. I'm a big fan of wearing it on, I wear it so that they can read it. Like I know what it says. I don't need to read it up so I can read it. I want everyone to read it. I only have two. The other one's back the blue. I've had this on since since America had a serious, horrible brain fart a couple years ago that thought they should dismantle the police, which is one of the dumbest, dumbest ideas in the history of this country, truly one of them. And uh, that didn't go well for a lot of reasons. But like, I have it so everyone can read it that we're a big fan of law enforcement here in this church and we love our men and women in uniform. We love men and women in our, in our military who were serving this country and uh, we back them all day long as well as I want them to read that Jesus truly is the reason for the season, the reason why we celebrate. We had such an incredible demonstration and that is on you. Like this church wants to represent you well. I want you to be proud of your church because we want to represent you well in your giving that we're able to spend money on love thy neighbor, spend money on a lot of coffee and a lot of uh, hot chocolate and, and just candy canes and candy and just to build such a float and invest so much into a float that just is such an incredible level of excellence of a presentation. It was great because someone at the float uh, made a comment saying, man, I was hoping that this float would be back. I love that because it is a representation of, of a lot of different things in a, in, in a parade, but here is center focus that it really is about Jesus. Don't ever forget it. It's beautiful. But I got my, my wife, uh, her and some friends had some bird eye view uh, being on the float and just what, what God is doing. Come on, girl. What do you got? Good morning, Believers Chapel. Good morning. Um, so it was such a blessing, and we just thank you all so much for your generosity and giving and being able to do what we do and just taking the Word of God into the Santa Claus Parade this weekend. It was amazing, and I just want to encourage you that people were so blessed. I mean, we could just, with spiritual eyes, you can just see the, the thinking uh, on the minds of the people as we went down with this float. You know, we had the nativity, we had Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the animals, and it was just just a wonderful, wonderful uh, display of God's grace and goodness. And I just want to let you know that um, without your love and your um, part in this, we all have a part in this puzzle, right? We are bringing the kingdom of God to earth here. And that is the goal, that we love people and people are our purpose. And we are to take the light of the kingdom to the world. It says in the Bible that you were once a part of the kingdom of darkness, but now you've come into the kingdom of light. And the Bible also says that you don't hide a light under a bushel. No, 
right? You let your light shine before men so that they can see your good deeds and that, that your Father may be glorified in heaven. And so I just want you to know that um, Believer's Chapel was just out and about. And, you know, this is the season where people are expectant. And there's just, you know, an energy. There's just the light of God's word is just comes alive in, in people that have never heard before. And so I just want you to come together in agreement with us as we pray that as the seed was planted during this uh, holiday parade that we brought the unexpected. You know, people came to a Santa Claus parade. They expected Santa Claus, but we brought Jesus. Amen? And it was powerful. And we had Jesus is King on the back of our float. And on the front side, it said that our Savior has come. So we were just bringing the light of Jesus. And it was amazing to see the looks of people, their faces, and thinking, oh, wow, yes, Jesus. And so we have them, you know, the wheels are turning. And so we just want to pray over that seed. And we want to believe that God is going to bring these people into the kingdom, that they will know that there is a place called Believer's Chapel where they can come and believe on Jesus and they can enter the kingdom of heaven and be a part of God's kingdom. And just as Sean was saying, you know, God brought his people through the the sea, right? He parted the sea. And I was thinking about that, that God always does the unexpected. He is amazing. He is the God of miracles. He could have sent ships, right? That would be the practical thing. You're crossing water. Like, how do you cross water? You need a boat. You need a raft. You need a ship. Oh, no. God says, I split the sea and you walk on the dry dry land. I mean, when you think about this, God is so awesome. And so I want us to have expectant hearts this season that we are the light of the world. We are to go into the world and we are to share the good news of the kingdom of God. He has come and now you can enter this kingdom and you can come and you can be a part of it and that there is goodness and God's grace and hope for you. There is deliverance for you that you come out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. And then you live a life that is for him, that you bring glory to him in all that you do. And so we also had, uh, I wanted to mention the song. We had the little drummer boy, which is an amazing song because everybody knows this song. And the version of it was for king and country. So it's jazzed up a bit. And this is on like regular radio stations, guys. So like you're going through the parade and you can see the people and they're going, Rum, pum, pum, pum. And I mean, they're just like in awe. Like, you guys, it's just so wonderful that we have the opportunity to bring God's kingdom to only in New York and just share the news, the good news of hope that we have in Jesus. So I just want to thank you that you're all a part of it. You can be um, blessed and know that as we pray and believe there are over 5,000 people in this parade in Olean and that these people are going to come and that seed is going to be watered and it's going to sprout and bring forth life. And they're going to be like, I'm going to go check out that place, Believer's Chapel. I think they have hope there. Let's go. Let's be a part of that. So let's pray and believe it. Okay. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, we pray. We pray. Now we pray. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity that we have today to just um, share the good news, Lord. We ask that you would just be with Sean as he preaches your gospel, Father, that you would anoint his tongue, that he would say what he hears the Father say from heaven, God, that it will touch your people, Lord, that it brings uh, salvation and deliverance and peace, Father, in hearts today, that God, everyone that walks in and out of these doors will be changed forever by the power of your 
word because your, li- your word is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide through bone and marrow, Lord, that it will do a work in the heart of every single soul today, here and online, wherever you listen. And we just thank you, God, that you are good and your mercy endures forever. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, baby. Amen, amen. Come on, Philippians chapter three, please. Let's get into this. I'm excited to, to come on. This is kind of, man, this is like the center, man. This is like, Paul's kind of warming up in this letter and he comes to this place in the letter and this is like kind of one of those things. Church, this will kind of be a test of our priorities. This is where Paul is when he speaks of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. How do you put value on something? How do you put value on different items in your life, different things in your life, uh, different levels of your life? Like how do you equate value to either an object, maybe value to your marriage or your spouse, maybe value to your children? And then how do you attach value to Christ, to what it is to know Christ? So man, Paul is just kind of warming up here and he comes to the middle of this book or this letter to to Philippi and this is a mature church, and he starts juicing up here, and you can see where he gives us his resume, and he said, all of that was nothing compared to the reality of knowing Christ. This is where we're at, and this morning is going to be kind of one of those tests for us to examine ourselves to say, is there anything in my life that is of a higher priority than Jesus? Is there anyone in my life that is a higher priority than Jesus? Is there anything in my life that I put as more valuable than what it is to truly know Christ? We're gonna go some places today. I want you to stay with me and I want you to get this. Come on, let's, let's begin to read Philippians chapter three. And I wanna read this and get into this right in verse four where we left off last week. Man, we are going through this letter. We're trying to go uh, kind of word by word, verse by verse, and just kind of go through this and have a deeper understanding of this letter that Paul writes to these people that he loves. These are his favorite people. This is his favorite church. This is a mature church. They're going through persecution. Paul writes this from prison. And then he, and then he writes this. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, we need to get the depth of this. In the absolute middle of this letter, he speaks of what it is and where he holds the value of his relationship with Christ and what it is to truly know Christ. And when you understand the word know, you understand what he's talking about here. To understand the word to know Christ, that means that, that, that's talking about that experiential knowledge of Christ. Like, and I want you to get this before we read it because you, you've got to read this with eyes of understanding and a heart that says, no, I want to get this because uh, Paul knew Christ as you and I who were truly born again, being born again on his terms. Man, I have repented from sin. I've called sin, sin. I've recognized sin separates me from God. I recognize I am a sinner as all are. And I recognize the very work of the cross that dealt with my sin issue that I could be in relationship with him and to know him. We have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ by the very work of the cross and confessing that he is Lord and he is master and I surrender to you. Like that's knowing Christ. But how deep do we put the value of what it is to know him? 
The word know here is that experiential knowledge. Like I have experienced a walk with Jesus. I know Jesus because I've experienced Jesus. I'm in a relationship with Jesus. I talk with Jesus. Like I know the joy and I know the peace and I know the Holy Spirit that is within me is God. And I, and I know, I know God and I know Jesus. I've experienced Jesus. The Bible also references this between a husband and wife. And the Bible says Adam knew Eve. That's talking about physically and intimacy physically. And it means he knew her face to face. That's intimacy. That's what this means. See, a lot of you like to wear, uh, you know, Josh Allen's letters, like the one seven, like you know him. Like, oh, I'm friends with you. Like, like, oh, Josh is great. We love Josh Allen. He's amazing. I personally think he should run more because he's missing the mark. But like, I don't care actually because it's Buffalo, but it's like, like, but the reality is, is like we, we, people are funny because they act like they know him because they know his play. They, they know his stats. They know he plays for Buffalo. They know when he should be running. They know, like they go through all of this list and they study him and they know him and they wear his t-shirts and they got posters on the wall and they, all this stuff. And they think that they actually know Josh. He did not invite you to Thanksgiving dinner. Like you don't know him. He doesn't know you exist. He doesn't even know you're a fan unless you're a really freaky fan. And you're like, no, he knows me because I write him every day and I text him. And like, you know, you, that's not actually Josh that you're texting. So it's like the reality is, is there's times that we know about people. But we really don't know them. And this is that word that says, I know Jesus. And there are people who just simply know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And man, I want that to flip today. I want you to know, yes, about Jesus, but I want you to know an experiential knowledge that you know him. You know him. He reigns and dwells within you. You know him by his spirit. You know him in relationship. That's what this is talking about. This is where Paul is, right? Come on, Philippians 3, verse 4, it says this. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circum he goes through his resume. Circumcised on the eighth day, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to law, Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as a righteousness which was in the law, I found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. That's a pile of poop. That's a pile of dung. That's just nasty. He says, all of that is a pile of rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, having righteousness of my, not having righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, and be conformed to his death. This is, there's some, some depth in this. There's some, just some serious, deep teaching on this, on the reality of what it is to know Christ, not just know about Christ. That doesn't get you saved. That does not get you eternal life. How do you put a value on what it is to truly know Christ? And this week I got something in my news feed and I thought it was interesting and it got me thinking. And it was, it was the cost of Napoleon's hat. 
Like there's a movie coming out, probably why it came. Movie coming out about Napoleon. I'm not endorsing it. I don't know anything about it. Uh, maybe that's why that came to my feet because it's kind of a, a big story right now. And here, I, I, it got me thinking on what is it that people put value on? And the sale of a hat worn by Napoleon, you know, the funny looking hat, right? That took place at $2.1 million for a hat, right? Here's a, a few more. You've got Michael Jordan wore, wore a pair of sneakers. This is in 1985. You know Michael Jordan probably, arguably on the high side of probably the best basketball player that sparked more basketball than any other player in the NBA. I'm not a big fan of the NBA anyways, but like for his pair of sneakers that he wore in 1985, Air Jordan 1s, right? These pair of sneakers, uh, May 17th of 2020, the left foot was 13 inches. The right sneaker was 13 and a half inches, made personally just for him. He wore these in 1985, $560,000 uh, on an auction. That's amazing. All you Star Wars people, you got Darth Vader's helmet. Like if, if anything of Star, of, of Star Wars, you, you know them by their lightsabers. That's Star Wars. And you know it by like, if you see Darth Vader's helmet, you know that's Star Wars. You know it immediately, right? That's Star Wars, right? The helmet that was worn in the Empire Strikes Back at auction brought $898,420 for a helmet, right? For a Darth Vader value. So someone valued that helmet at $898,420. Who remembers the General Lee, right? The General Lee, remember the General Lee from the Dukes of Hazard? Like who was a fan of the Dukes of Hazard? Right, all the guys. I'm not talking about Daisy. I'm not talking about Daisy. I'm talking about the car, right? The general, yeah, we're in church. We're good. Like, you know, come on. Like when you understand the General Lee and the Dukes of Hazard, just incredible. Uh, John Schneider owned the car, but he put it up for auction. That car in 2007 brought $9,900,500 for the original General Lee. That's amazing value. Okay. Okay, who knows this? Like, th this, is, this is considered like the holy grail of movie memorabilia. Who, who knows what the red slippers mean? Wizard of Oz, right? Judy Garland, the Wizard of Oz, her slippers brought $6 million for a pair of slippers. Like, you talk about what it is to value something. What is the price that you put on something that is of highest value? Here's some fun ones. Uh, who, who can guess what, what was the most expensive baseball card ever sold? Mickey Mantle. Mickey, yes, Mickey Mantle, 1952. Topps Mickey Mantle card, number 311, for $12.6 million for a trading card. Unknown how many were actually made or how many are out there. Um, if you have your hands on a 311 Mickey Mantle, 1952 card, Ties and offerings, baby. That's all I'm saying. Amazing. <laughs> Woo! Come on. I love this. Here's a funny one. We had a, a Canadian dentist in 2011 bought John Lennon's tooth, one of his molars, like a tooth, John Lennon's molar for $31,200 and has it on display in his dentist's office. 
Okay, here's a weird one. You got Justin Timberlake when he was super high famous. In 2000, he did a radio show in the morning and he had French toast and he ate half of his French toast. Somebody found his French toast, advertised it as his. I think it's been kind of certified, right? It was a 19-year-old girl who was so excited she bought this toast for $1,025. Justin Timberlake's French toast. It's amazing. Last one is this. Queen Victoria's underwear in 2015 sold for $16,300. Unbelievable. But what is it in a sense of value? How do you put a price on someone's underwear? How do you put a price on movie memorabilia? How do you put a price? And there's so many, you can look at there's so many fun things. You're like, man, it's really, like you think that's that valuable? Church, what is it? To understand the surpassing, the word surpassing, it means that which is high above, that which is superior to everything else, is to know Christ, is to know Christ. Come on, let's go back to verse four. I want to look at Paul's resume because he, he, he equates where he was in life and equates to what he gave up what he actually calls the life that he lived, which was high success, which he was doing everything that he was passionately doing, and he thought he was doing it for God, but he realized he wasn't. Like, this was his life. He was at the top of his game, the top of his people. He worked so hard to gain all of these credentials. This is so important because this is his resume. He said, everything that I have done in this is compared to a pile of crap compared to knowing Christ. So let's look. We got to look at this resume, man. Just for a minute, we got to look at this resume. Verse, verse 4 says this. Although I myself have been confident even in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to be confident in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised on the eighth day. That, that speaks of ritual. That speaks of something that he did in ritual that you were supposed to do in order to be circumcised, in order to be Old, Old Testament circumcised to be a part of the children of God. He said, nope, as of ritual, check the box. I did that. The nation of Israel, man, that, that speaks of his race. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people. God did all these miracles. I was a part of that club. Man, I was in that chosen race. Check the box, right? He, he speaks of the tribe of Benjamin. That speaks to his rank. No, I was of the highest rank of the highest race of God's chosen people. The tribe of Benjamin was the highest rank within the children of Israel. You had different ranks. Tribe of Benjamin, highest rank. So he's like, listen, ritual, check the box. Race, check the box. Uh, highest rank, check the box. And then he says, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. Then this, this speaks to his tradition. This speaks to him. I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, like, no, I was the saint of all saints, as this, some would say. Like, no, I did everything that I was supposed to do. As a Hebrew, I hid it all. I did all the law. I did what I was supposed to do. I checked the box on every Sabbath. I did what I was, and he goes through this list going of the Hebrews, check the box. I was the best of the best when it comes to the Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he says, a Pharisee. This speaks of religion. Like, I, I attained to the highest order of religion, I mean, I was a Pharisee. That, like, to be a Pharisee, which means you have a special team and a special club of a special group of men that were the religious leaders of the time. And he's like, I'm a Pharisee, I was it. My father was a Pharisee and I was a Pharisee. And I was at the top of my game and being religious order, I was there. I had it all with that. And then he comes to this, he says, as to zeal, 
as to my sincerity, as to my passion, man, I was the best of the best when it came to persecuting the church. He says, that was my passion. No, that, that, was, that was my zeal, was to persecute the church. And I want you to turn with me, please, quickly. Keep your finger in, in Philippians, but turn to Galatians chapter 1, please. Right before Philippians is Galatians. Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians. So turn to Galatians chapter 1, please. I want you to see this. In Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians 1, verse 13 and 14. I love this because it speaks to where he was in his resume. And he says this, verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I love that. I, I used to persecute the church. It was, it was, you couldn't measure my passion to persecute the church. You couldn't measure it. Like, like he, said, he says, I was extremely zealous for my ancestral tradition. I'm sorry, uh, verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. Like this, this was his goal. This was his passion. He was sincere in this. He thought that the church, the Christians in the day were doing God non-service, that they weren't true religious people. They truly weren't following God of the, of the Old Testament because he was a Pharisee and he was, and he had, he had the right to go and persecute them. And I did everything I could to destroy the church. This is Paul's passion. And then you see where he was growing. He said this, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries, among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Like, like, like when you start reading about Paul, you have to believe Paul had some juice, right? Paul, whatever he did, he put his hand to it and he was rolling with it. Like when, when he thought he was doing service to the church of God, so to speak, that wasn't true Christians. Yeah, you got to remember, the, uh, Christian is first mentioned in Acts and it wasn't a compliment. To be called a Christian through the book of Acts, it was not a compliment. It was the non-Christians, the non-believers looking at this group of people. Christian means like Christ, little Christs, that they were acting like that guy we know is Christ. And it wasn't a compliment to be called a Christian. Today, Christian doesn't have the depth of a biblical meaning because everybody is considered Christian. And no matter what religion, they at times would consider them to be Christian. Or if you went to church uh, once, you considered it like it doesn't have the depth uh, to what it was. And Paul is like, no, I'm after these people. Like he was passionate about everything he did. Isn't that amazing, church, that when you see Paul's resume and his zeal and his passion and his power, and, he, and he's doing everything he could with everything within him to go and, and take out the church? Isn't it amazing that the passion, watch this now, not, not Pharisee, not tradition of man, not, not, not all of the, the wrong zeal, but the same zeal and the same passion. Watch this. It transferred over to him being a follower and an apostle of Christ. So you can be passionate in the wrong direction. See, I, this, is, this is kind of what I love about strong-willed children. Like if you have a strong-willed children, hang on. Like if you are a mom or a dad of a strong-willed child, When you know that that is God-given and when they're on fire for the Lord, you realize, no, my child's unstoppable. 
my child is unstoppable as a follower of Christ, being so strong-willed, being fearless, being unashamed, being a lover of the Lord in worship. Like you, you realize what that really means. It might be hard in the beginning, but don't ever take that out of the child. Man, learn how to navigate it. Learn how to play into it. Learn how to, how to, how to really, truly like guide that and direct that but don't ever allow that to come out of the child because when that transfers into a follower of Christ, they become unstoppable. And it's the same thing with Paul. You see his resume here, right? You see his resume. Come on, Acts 26 with me, please. Acts 26. Again, he gives us this amazing picture of, of his past and, and of his resume. And, and this is so important because you got to see all that he did. He was, he was truly, truly at the top of his game. He really felt like he was serving the church, his, his pharisaical brothers. He felt like he was leading the, the synagogue in the right direction. And, and this, is, this is what he says, Acts 26, verse, verse 9. So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, but also when they were being put to death, when they were being, that's several, like he was there for those in deep persecution that he would tear families apart. He would take husbands and wives out of families, leave the kids or even take the kids, separate families. And at times he'd put them in prison. At times he'd put them to death. This is Saul. This is his passion. He thinks he's doing God's service. This is his zeal. And he does it better than any. And he says, even putting to death, I cast my vote against him. And as to punish them often in the synagogue, I, I, I tried to force them to blaspheme, being ferociously enraged at them. This is Paul and his passion. I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. So you see, uh, back to Philippians. So you see, when, when Paul's going through his resume and he says, as a zeal, I persecuted the church. Why do you think that when Paul truly had a true transition and he truly had that major revelation of Jesus Christ, the, the, the whole horse thing, bright light, Jesus comes, speaks to Paul, why are you persecuting me, Paul? I didn't know I was persecuting you. Goes in this amazing conversation. Truly comes the reality of faith. Why do you think the church was so afraid of him and was questioning, isn't this that guy? Isn't this the one that persecuted the church? Can we trust him? Like there was such... As Paul writes, there was such uh, this back and forth in regards to truly being able to trust Paul in this newfound faith, an apostle and a follower of Christ, because that's that guy. That's him. And then you see this. He says this, as to righteousness, which is in the law, he says, I was found blameless. He's like, I did it all right. I was, you, you couldn't find a reproach against Paul. Like what he did, he did on purpose. What he did, he didn't get distracted. What he did, he was accounted for to be blameless, that he was right in the law. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul's like, I had it all. When you look at my resume, I was there. 
I was a Pharisee. I was the top of my game. I was that guy that persecuted the church. I had the, the, the chief priests were giving me documentation to go out and seek and find like the SWAT team, man. He's like, I had it all. I went and did this. This was who I was, top of my game. But he said, to give all of that up, to lose all of that, I had to give all of that up so that I may gain Christ. And church, when you understand that is his worldly resume. I want you to get, I, I want to give you his, his spiritual resume. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, or 2 Corinthians chapter 11, please. I know we're, we're turning to several more places than we normally turn, but this is, this is, you've got to catch this, man. You've got to catch the change. Man, you, you've got to look at Paul's resume from that what he was in the world compared to what he was when he came to Christ and said, I gave up all of this and I gained Christ. And then in 2 Corinthians 11, he gives us his spiritual resume. Look at the difference. Here's his spiritual resume. Uh, chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors and far more imprisonment, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked night and day. I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, dangers from, dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentile, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. And I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposed. Like this is now his spiritual resume. And I love it, church. He says, in all of that, the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Man, but it sounds like Paul had it all. As Saul, he had it all. And then he gave up all of that to be whipped, shipwrecked, stoned, left alone, abandoned by everybody in prison. He writes this from prison. And he says, I gained everything. What is it to know the church you don't lose anything, but you gain everything when you come to Christ. When you truly know Christ, you have gained everything and have lost nothing. The enemy will lie today to say you have to give up all of this. Is it worth it to give up all of this just to gain Christ? Church, you gain everything with Christ. He says, I had it all and I gave it all up. Matter of fact, what I did gain was serious persecution. What I did gain was lashes across my back. What I did gain is loneliness. That's what I gained. He says, but it's worth it for the surpassing value, high above, superior to everything. Here it is, church. Where are you in this? In the value of knowing Christ. Do you literally think for a moment that I have to give up something? Is it worth it for me to give up all of these things in order for me to gain Christ? You're gaining everything when you come to Christ. And he's like, no, 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 I need, church, I need you to get this. This is what Paul is saying. Church of Philippi, I need you to get this. I need you to understand the surpassing value. All of that stuff. Matthew 13 said, what does it profit a man 
to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul. Truly, what does it profit a man to gain everything in this world? You have all the accolades. You have all the fame. You have all the fortune. You've gained it all. But to give up and to forfeit your soul because you've gained the world? For what does it truly profit a man to gain the whole world and miss and miss it all when it comes to knowing Christ as Lord? Church, I love this because for me, this kind of speaks to the sense of the prosperity gospel and that which we need to keep in a balance. I do believe that God wants us to be blessed. I do believe that. I love where God can bless financially. I love that God can bless you with a great job. Just don't make job the priority. Don't make your money the priority. I love God's blessing. But what happens, what happens, church, when it's just never enough? What happens when you buy into prosperity and think, no, I deserve more. No, I deserve more. You know, you, 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 you have it. The problem is you're never content. It's never enough for you. And that, that would be the problem. Again, I'm not anti-blessing. Uh, I want God to bless. I want to be blessed financially. And God has blessed us. I want you to be blessed financially when you follow his rules of blessing and reaping and sowing. I want this church to be financially blessed beyond anything that we could think or imagine of what God could do in the finances in this region but when it comes to a place that all you think on is, is me, 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 more for me, more for me, more for me, and you think you use it for God's kingdom, but nothing ever changes. It's just more for you, and it's just more for you. At what point do you come to a place and say, ah, man, I just am never happy? Because Paul had it all, and he said, no, wait, 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 wait. He even says in Philippians 4, we're not there yet, but he says, I've had everything and I've lost it. I've had, I've had a lot and I've had little, but I realize this, Christ is enough. I realize this, Christ is enough. Come on, turn with me, please, to Matthew 13, please. Matthew 13. I want, I want, I want you to see this because this is such a great picture of Jesus and he tells a few stories here of, of, of what it is of the value of the kingdom of heaven, what it is to truly uh, understand what true value really is. In Matthew 13, uh, we're going to start right in verse 44. Verse, uh, Matthew 13, verse 44. Please, if you would just turn there just for a moment. I want, I, want to, I want you to put this as Jesus is speaking this and he speaks about the kingdom of heaven. You got to realize that Jesus uh, is the key to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the access that we have for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gives us that access. So when we realize that Jesus, speaking of the kingdom of heaven, he says there is such a value to this, and he gives this, 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 this couple different pictures that I want us to unpack and see, because it just speaks of where do I put the value of knowing Christ? Like, where do I put that? And again, church, this is that priority examination. Like, is there anything in my life that I would deem more valuable or equal with Jesus because when the Bible says surpassing value, that, that which is superior to, that which is high and above, that which is beyond anything else, like, like, like we are called to value our knowledge of Christ and to know him. And then the Bible says an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. 
Like the Bible speaks of two different wives, one that is contentious, she's angry, she's miserable, she loves to argue, she loves strife. Like, I'm not talking about that woman. I'm talking about the excellent wife at this point. Gentlemen, turn to your wife, high five your wife right now before you get in trouble. High five your wife and say, you are an excellent wife. Like, we need to determine that right now. That if you're not highlighting your wife, that means she's the other, like, she's not, like, Highlight your wife, man. Come on, this is what this means. An excellent wife who can find for her worth, her value is far above jewels. And church, I hope that you know what it means to honor and value your wife, that she is your MVP. But then there's the priority of Jesus. Marriage can become an idol if you're not careful. The surpassing value, there is Jesus and then there is the Grand Canyon. And then there is my wife. There is Jesus. And then there is the Grand Canyon. And then there is me as, her, as Renee's husband. Like there has to be this gap that it is Jesus first in everything. He is the priority. And he holds the highest, far above, superior place of value in anyone or anything else on this planet. There is Jesus, and then there is your spouse, and then there is your children, and then there is your workplace, which is your career, and then there is church. You get those five things right in that order, and I'm telling you, there will be blessing, and God will work marvelously within your family. It is teaching our family Jesus first and the value of knowing him, and then honoring your marriage with a place of value. Parenting your kids and such value that you spend your time with your kids. You don't miss your kids' games. You're investing in your kids in time and spiritually in the Word. And you're investing in your career financially. And then church, to be a part of a community, is vital to your top five. But it's Jesus first. Priority. It's priority. I love this because Jesus is speaking here and he says this in verse 44, Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, that hidden treasure, there was, he found such great joy in that he, this, is, this is comparison to the kingdom of heaven. Church, I hope that you are a born again believer and in that you have this overflowing of joy, that you're not living in misery, you're not Eeyore, you're not always negative, you're not the complainer of the bunch, you're not the one who's never good enough. It's that beautiful sense of joy in my spirit. I won't be that joy, overflow with joy as a mark of the spirit of God within me because I am a believer. And this is that. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again from joy over that hidden treasure. That's the kingdom of heaven. He goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. That's how valuable this hidden treasure, which is the kingdom of heaven, to this man. Now listen, this isn't speaking about you going and selling everything you have. That's not the point. The point is, where is it that you place the value of the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus goes on and says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. This is what this guy did. He, he just a pearl guy, man. He was a jeweler. He knows pearls. This is what he does. He seeks for pearls, for fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought that one pearl. This is that value lesson, that value scale of where do I put the value of what it is to truly know Christ. Where is that? 
Where is that? And this doesn't have anything to do with our value part of this, but I was reading this this week and I just want to add this because you hear from me often and you can't say it enough. Church, there's only two teams. There's team Jesus and you come to him on his terms. Repent, believe, and surrender. Repent from our sin. Believe that Jesus truly is the only way, that he is alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father, came, put flesh on, went to the tree, died on our behalf. God raised him from the dead. Probably the most powerful act that God has done for us in eternal life is Jesus' resurrection from the dead that gives us truly, truly life forever, that we never have to fear death because the power of the resurrection and to know Christ on his terms, to come to surrender to him. And then the other team is Satan's team. Team Jesus, team Satan, your choice. Come to know Jesus on his terms. Repent from your sin. Believe in Jesus Christ. Know the value of what it is to know him as Lord and Savior. To know that he now is supreme in my life. To know what it is to go from a Saul to a Paul. Maintaining that same passion, that same zeal, that that same push is everything that you are. Now it's towards his kingdom and towards his work. Two teams, church, your choice. Team Jesus on his terms, repent, believe, surrender. Or team Satan on his terms, and that's just to reject truth. And Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a dragnet cast into the sea, gathering fish of every kind. And when it is filled, they drew it up onto the beach and they sat down and they gathered the good fish in containers, but the bad fish they threw away. So it will be in the end of the age that the angels, this is something that will happen, church. This is something that will happen. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And that is the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus asked him, do you understand all these things? And they said, yes. No, we get it. The kingdom of heaven, ha, highest value. I get what you're saying. Hidden treasure field, sell it all, buy that. It's that valuable. The one pearl, got it. Sell all the rest for this one valuable. It's also gonna be, if you don't understand, get it. If you don't understand its value, you're going to miss. You're going to miss. I don't want you to miss. Come on, Philippians 3. More than that, he says, I count all things lost in view of the surpassing value. That which stands out, that which is high above, that which is superior to everything and everyone else. To hold it above the surpassing value of knowing that that experiential knowledge, I know Jesus. I just don't know about him, but I know him. I know him. I know what he did for me. I know him personally. I talk to him. I cry out to him. I pray. Man, I know by his spirit, he reigns within me. I know Jesus Christ. I know, I know him, I do. And it's that experience. I've experienced Christ in my life. It's that knowledge. It's not just knowing about, but it's knowing within intimately. I know him. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. How do I know that I know him on his terms? It is to be found in him. 
to be found in him. Not having righteousness of my own derived from the law. He's like, I, I, I was blameless in that and it didn't work. I can't work my way. I can't be good enough. I can't follow the pharisaical law. I can't follow circumcision. We covered this last week. I can't follow the Sabbath to a T and just think that I'm okay. Paul said, I did that and it, it wasn't where it was supposed to be. I worked, I worked, I worked, I worked. Man, I studied under Gamaliel. I was the best at the business. This is what I did. This is who I was. I was blameless in it. I did it with everything in me and all sincerity and all passion and all zeal. Listen, you can do everything with sincerely and be sincerely wrong. You can have such a zeal towards something and you can be in the very wrong direction and it can cost you everything. Oh, but I have a passion. I really believe it. No, I have a zeal towards this. No, I get it. I, I'm sincere about this. Well, I can say you can be sincerely wrong and it's going to cost you everything unless you come to him and be found in Christ. Paul's like, I gave it all up. That which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And that I may know him. There it is again. Church, I love this. Look at this. Verse 10, that I may know him that I may have that knowledge of him. Colossians 1.13, church, or Colossians 1.10, please, if you could put that up. I, I want you to see this because this is something, as you know, I've said many times, this is what my Nana would pray over me. My mom's mom, just a spiritual giant. And, and, and I knew that this is what she would be praying over me. And she went through the, all of Colossians one and just, just prayed this. But I, I want you to see this as a mom and dad, as a parent, as a grandparent, as one who prays for your closest people, your friends, your family. I pray this over the church. Paul was praying this over the church. Like he was praying this over the church. This is what he prayed. And I love this. Watch this because we have to understand what it is. The Paul's like the surpassing value of knowing Christ. He says, for I know Jesus. Like what is it to know him? Like it, there, there's, there, please get this. There's not an end to that while we breathe here on the earth. I want to constantly grow in my knowledge. I want to grow in my hunger for the word. I want to grow that God put everything we need to know on page. If I study this, I want to study to know him. Someone once told me, Sean, you study to know him and you'll always have something to say. Don't just study to study, study to know him. We can never outgrow or get ever beyond what it is to know him. This is a constant growing, a constant maturity. We're not going to be completely perfect. We're not going to be completely mature until we're home. And I love this, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord so that you will walk. What is it that you pray this over your children? You pray this over your spouse. You pray this over your grandchildren. You pray this over people that are in your life that I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Have a walk that is worthy. And man, I, I love this even for teenagers. And I love this for college students that you would have a walk that is worthy, that you would cry out to God Almighty, that he would begin to direct you, that you need to say, God, I want your direction in my life. 
As parents, we pray and we pray and we fast and we believe and we pray for our kids and God's destiny for our kids and God's protection over our kids and the purity of our kids and God's mighty hand will be upon our kids. But what happens when they take that on as kids? When they take that on as teenagers? When they take that on as college students? God, you direct my steps. God, what would you have for my destiny, the surpassing value as of a teenager saying, God, I know you. God, I thank you. God, the surpassing value. God, it's you first. What would you have for my life? What is your direction for me? Church, what, oh boy, what happens when breakaway catches that? What happens when your teenager is like, God, you speak to me. God, you would direct me. What happens when a college student says, God, you direct me. What would you have for me? Because I want to walk in a manner worthy of you. And I want to please you in all respects. Everything I think, everything I say, everything I do, God, that it would be pleasing to you. And I know that it is impossible to please you without faith. So God, I'm asking that everything that I do will be with faith and that it would please you. I want to walk in a manner worthy of you. I want to please you in all respects. I want to bear fruit in every good work. Can you put that back up there for the people, please? I want to bear fruit in every good work. And then watch it, watch it, look at it. And I want to increase in the knowledge of God. I want to walk in a manner worthy. Man, God, I want to be pleasing. God, I want to bear fruit in this, this. God, I want to increase. I want to continuously grow in my knowledge of you, my growing close to you, my understanding of you, my experiential walking with you. God, I want to see your hand move. God, I want to know that you're alive and you're moving within my marriage. You're moving within my work. You're moving within my children. You're moving. I want to know you, God, and have that experience with you. And I want that to increase in the knowledge of God. Church, nobody's ever reached it. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. We just continue to grow and we continue to mature. And I love this, that this is a part of this. And Paul's like, listen, know him. Know him. Walk in a manner worthy of him. Paul wrote this. He's like, increase in your knowledge of him. Church, what are we striving for? What are we working for? What is your list of priorities? Today's that test. Today we examine. Man, do I understand really everything that Paul is talking about here and the surpassing value that it's superior to everything else, what it is to know him. And if I know him, I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of him. I'm going to please him in everything I think, say, and do. Man, I'm going to bear fruit. Continue to increase in my knowledge of you. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. I'm never content and satisfied in my knowledge of him. Come on, if we can stand to our feet, please. As we close and as we sing a song, let me just ask you, like, where are you truly this morning? Right here, right now, where are you in this? Do you know Christ as Lord and Savior? I mean, truly, do you know Christ as Lord and Savior. It's that first and foremost. Maybe today is one of those checks that by the Holy Spirit, you are checked in your spirit. I mean, I have gotten things kind of out of whack here. I've been uh, gotten a little distracted. 
I've, I've allowed, whether it's a person, I've allowed, maybe it's a thing, I've even allowed, maybe it's a pursuit of mine or a desire of mine to kind of get in the way, even though it's good, it's gotten in the way of my pursuit of him. What it is that knowing him and everything that follows is more important than any other thing I do in my life. Paul's like, I had it all, I lost it all. But I gained him. And I gained everything. If you don't know Christ, come to Christ today. Repent from your sin. Acknowledge your sin. Don't play games with this. Come to Christ. Believe that Jesus, you're the only way, you're the answer. And in this moment, I surrender to you. Church, if anyone needs prayer for any reason, healing, you need to talk more about Jesus, we'd love to talk to you. You want prayer for any reason in your family? You want prayer over your, uh, your finances? You want prayer over your marriage? You want prayer over sickness? We believe that God can heal. We want God to do a mighty work in you today. As we sing, come on. You're welcome to come up and receive prayer. But let's just close with what has God spoke to you today. Come on.